everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus on the future of Earth, and my colleagues will walk you through the components of and findings within the new Future of Earth publication from the UBS Chief Investment Office. Joining me on the line today, glad to welcome Julia Tomei, UBS Global Wealth Management America's Sustainable Investing Solutions Product Manager, as well as Laura Kane, Head of Thematic Investing Americas, and Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Thanks so much, Dan. We're so excited to be here today focusing on sustainable investing, focus week, the future of Earth. CIO just launched a fantastic new report in their Future of series that's titled The Future of Earth. Dan, as you mentioned, I have two phenomenal CIO thought leaders here today to talk about their latest new report. So we have Laura Kane, who is the head of Thematic Research Americas, as well as Amantia Mugadini, who is the sustainable investing strategist. So to start off, Laura, can you start by sharing what the key research question was for CIO for this paper and why this is an investable idea? Sure, Julia, I'd be happy to. And, and thanks so much for having me on the call today. So First of all, we are so excited about the launch of our new report, The Future of Earth, which explores how our planet will evolve and change over the coming decades and the significance of these trends for investors. Our planet is facing a number of challenges, from water scarcity to air pollution to land degradation and biodiversity loss. And we will continue to see these challenges mount as the global population grows and living standards rise and as the effects of climate change are more acutely felt. So just to put some numbers around this, uh, natural disasters cause an economic loss of more than $260 billion globally in 2020. And in the U.S. alone, over 22 natural disaster events, each costing a billion dollars or more, occurred last year, and that was a new annual record in double the amount recorded in 2019. So it's clear that these challenges um, are really growing and the time to act is now. But the good news is that there are many exciting technologies and solutions that are being developed to tackle these issues. And over the past few decades, time and time again, we've seen human ingenuity has prevailed in the face of a number of different challenges. The latest example being the rapid development of the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and we believe that this will be the case when it comes to addressing the issues facing our planet as well. So some of the innovations that hold promise include renewable energy technologies like solar and wind as well as hydrogen fuel cells. We also see exciting developments within the vehicle electrification industry. Plant-based proteins and precision agricultural techniques will help us feed more people with less emissions, less water, and less waste, while digital tools and smart infrastructure will help us to better distribute water and safeguard our communities from flooding. So these are just a few of many examples that we discussed in our new report. And I would emphasize that these innovations are exciting, not just from the standpoint of improving the sustainability of our planet, but also in the sense that they point to opportunities for investors. We believe that these pockets of innovation represent areas of above-trend growth 
And importantly, we're going to see more public and private capital flowing areas as addressing climate-related challenges comes into focus for global policymakers and for corporate leadership as well. We would also note that climate risks, as we discussed in the report, represent risk to portfolios as well. Uh, climate exerts an influence on property values, for example, and can also impact the viability of issuers of equity and fixed income securities. So companies who are not mindful of their emissions, of their waste management practices, of natural resource usage. These companies are more vulnerable to reputational and regulatory risk, as well as broader impacts of profitability from the mismanagement of resources. So we think it's critical that investors be mindful of the future of Earth when it comes to their investment decisions from both the risk and the opportunity perspective, and that ultimately investing in the future of our planet will yield both financial as well as broader social and environmental benefits. Thanks for explaining why and how our world is evolving and changing over the years. The numbers that you just quoted are staggering, but it's also inspiring to hear that there's opportunity to explore. So to follow up on your comments, what are some of the key topics that you mentioned in the report? The report has four key chapters. So the first chapter is titled People, Health, and Communities, and it begins with an exploration of how our environment impacts our well-being, which includes everything from risk of disease to the risk of physical displacement as climate change renders certain parts of the world uninhabitable. And within this chapter, we also explore solutions to these challenges, including medical devices and pharmaceutical treatments on the health side, as well as smart infrastructure solutions on the community side. And then in the remaining three chapters, we explore three critical resources that are heavily affected by climate change and as a result present the biggest opportunities for innovation and investment. And those are first, energy. So energy-related emissions account for over two-thirds of global greenhouse gas emissions. And in that chapter, we discussed the need for an orderly transition to cleaner energy solutions like wind and solar, as well as opportunities related to energy efficiency and energy storage, as well as carbon capture and vehicle electrification. The next is land. Land use is the second largest source of emissions globally, and it's estimated that about 20 to 35 percent roughly of total emissions are attributable to the food system specifically. So in that chapter, we discuss how technology is improving agricultural efficiency and how developments in plant-based protein can actually help us feed a growing population with less impact to our planet. And then finally, water. The last chapter explores the topic of water scarcity and how digital solutions like smart metering can improve water systems and reduce the amount of wasted water. So those are the four key chapters, and I would emphasize that each one provides analysis of the critical issues relating to these topics, as well as a discussion of solutions and corresponding investment opportunities. So the real emphasis here is on where the solutions are and how that can actually um, that information can be used by investors when they're looking to position their portfolios for some of these evolving trends. Thanks so much, Laura, for that great overview. Now, bringing Amancia into the conversation, we speak a lot about investable themes and also about sustainable investing strategies. 
Amantia, how are the two connected in the context of the report? Thanks, Julia, and great to be here for the conversation. Um, so I would say, as, as Laura mentioned at the beginning of her remarks, when we think of climate change and opportunities for investors, we really think of two sides of the coin. We think of the side of looking for solutions as well as investable opportunities, but also looking for what the risks are to portfolios that climate change poses. And similarly, if we think about the role that global corporations um, have when, when it comes to the future of our planet, that, that, is, that is significant given their scale and, and the potential carbon intensity of their operations. However, uh, it's not just about their carbon intensity and, and imprint on the world, so to speak. Uh, corporations also can contribute to sustainability and the future of our planet in a positive way by providing products and services that can help facilitate our transition to a greener economy, to a more sustainable world, while still meeting our demands for, for, for growth and, and acknowledging the, the evolution uh, that the world is going towards. So in thinking about this, we think about semantic investments really as, um, just as, as a recap here, as investments which are typically targeting companies that have revenue exposure to these unique or innovative products and services, um, so really the solution side of this coin. Well, we think of sustainable investing strategies as uh, the ones that are considering the company operations alongside a, n a number of other financial factors. So really they're looking both at the opportunities and, and also risks that have to do with how companies are operating in the world. Now, it's important to also note that um, I, I really <laughs> I drew a distinction between these two approaches, but however, in reality, we often see overlap between the two. So we can think of solutions in, that, that we highlight in the context of this research, and we really what we have done is identified a set of thematic investable opportunities across the four topics uh, or four chapters that Laura just mentioned, but we also um, are, are looking at how companies uh, that manage ESG factors, for, for example, better than their peers on topics such as climate change or some of the underlying themes and indicators uh, can potentially benefit from a competitive advantage if they're better prepared or ahead of the curve in addressing some of these challenges um, and, you know, better prepared for risks or, or are going to be better positioned in the eyes of consumers or, or regulators and so forth, so, so therefore may benefit from additional opportunities. So really all to say there's significant overlap and what this report does is, is look at both of these ways and marries the two in identifying um, the potential opportunities for the future. That's great. And to go a bit deeper into the themes and the four chapters that Laura referenced, Amantia, what is the investment case for the people, communities, and health theme? Why does this matter? And how... Can investors look for opportunities here? Sure. So um, this really is a starting point. Um, it, it's a fairly intuitive statement to say that the future of our planet and really our Earth is, is deeply linked to our health and our well-being as we consume resources and, and we anticipate our future growth on the planet. However, you know, going beyond this, this intuition, there are at least two ways in which we can draw the connections between the, the impacts of, of climate change and, and the future of Earth as, and our health and communities. So firstly, on the one hand, we can look at impacts on, on health. 
we know that air pollution and extreme, uh, the impacts of extreme heat um, are directly related to our health and well-being, and I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that uh, a little bit more in a second. Secondly, on the other hand, we also are noting how um, the increase in sea level rises as well as sinking cities are having significant impacts on our communities, on our economies. And similarly, this is really extending towards environmental migration, which is significantly impacting uh, communities, cultures, economies, and so forth. So diving a little deeper into both of these uh, types of impact, first, if we think of air pollution, really what we know is that it's currently the largest environmental-linked threat to human health. To put some numbers around this, um, 4.2 million deaths in 2016 were linked to air pollution by the World Health Organization. Another thing that we know is that more vulnerable communities are the ones who are more likely to be negatively impacted by uh, air pollution. And in fact, here in the U.S., um, according to a 2018 study, um, individuals who are living in poverty were 35% more likely to be exposed to pollution particulates, which could be harmful, than the general population in the country, um, as well as communities of color and individuals across races and ethnicities were 28% more likely to be exposed to these negative particulates from air pollution than their white peers and, and white individuals. And so we're seeing this connection here in the U.S. related to air pollution. And another type of um, negative impact is related to extreme urban heat, which is really claiming both lives and, and secondarily, but also important to our economies, claiming jobs as well. Um, the data currently indicates that in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, um, all of these regions will experience the highest average summer monthly temperatures very soon, which could peak to the mid to upper 40 degrees centigrade or, or in Fahrenheit to around 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, if we don't make significant progress as we need to, to do on reducing emissions. Um, you know, if we think about then the impact of what this means in terms of jobs and lives, um, there's estimates that in the Asia and Pacific regions, um, they stand to lose about 62 million full-time jobs by 2030 from the additional heat stress. So really, um, these are some of the impacts on, on health, and they connect to communities in many ways, in particular if we think about rising sea levels and then how it's impacting cities around the world and, again, bringing it home here to the U.S., where uh, we know that the U.S. coastal areas, which are more vulnerable to threats from rising sea level, um, account for 10% of the total landmass of the country, but are home to 40% of the U.S. population and serve as key economic engines, really, for several key industries. Um, as these areas become more vulnerable to events like 100-year storms, we see the impact of climate change really coming here uh, at home and, and, and having this impact both on humans and on our economies and, and disrupting our way of life. So I just gave a lot of factors here and talked about, you know, what may sound like all doom and gloom, but, but really it's not like that. Um, we do think that the time is to act is now, and there are a variety of solutions and investable opportunities in the horizon that, that create uh, long-term growth prospects as well. So investors um, it, who are interested in these topics can first and foremost start looking for solutions that um, – 
uh, that can provide uh, some solutions for the underlying um, issues that we're talking about here. So, for example, they can look for companies with exposure to green technologies such as um, renewable energy or smart infrastructure or mobility to help mitigate some of the issues of climate change. And they can also look at um, the solutions that are treating those climate-related health conditions um, that we just discussed, um, and we see long-term growth prospects for areas like oncology or health tech or or uh, or drugs that treat respiratory or, or cardiac uh, health as well as medical devices. So these, in additional, with with taking a look at um, ESG integrated approaches, the sustainable investing um, approaches that we just discussed, and in particular those that are focusing on companies that. Yes, excel in managing these risks, but also those that are better uh, equipped to take care of their employees um, and and manage um, for for the diversity and equality as well um, may all help create a set of investable opportunities that will also address all of these challenges we just discussed. Thank you, Amantia. It's it's so powerful to hear how these environmental factors are affecting our health and communities and even more so how diverse individuals are affected at greater rates. It's no wonder why climate and diversity continues to be top of mind for our clients and investors. And as you mentioned, there are lots of investable ideas that we have. Uh, So now switching to the next topic, the future of energy. This is also definitely a hot topic issue, and people are definitely very interested in this as well. Laura, can you walk us through your findings? So you're right, Julia. Energy is a critical part of this story. So first of all, um, a consistent and secure energy base is absolutely essential to our daily lives and the functioning of the global economy. Now, at the same time, we know that the energy sector, including electricity generation, heat, and transport, is the biggest contributor to emissions worldwide. So the transition to a more sustainable, cleaner energy base is imperative in solving some of the most pressing environmental concerns we face. But at the same time, we emphasize that this transition must be orderly and will likely be gradual in order to minimize disruption to our well-being and the functioning of our global economy. Now, with that backdrop in mind, we are seeing momentum toward this transition, in part due to policy support for many of the largest economies around the globe, including the U.S., Europe, China, and Japan. All of these countries have recently announced targets for achieving carbon neutrality. And on the U.S. side specifically, We recently rejoined the Paris Climate Accord, and President Biden's infrastructure plan leans green, uh, and if passed into law, should provide a boost to clean energy and vehicle electrification industries for years to come. In addition to policy, we're also seeing economics move in favor of clean energy technologies, with wind and solar now the cheapest source of power generation in certain parts of the globe. So let's discuss where we see the most compelling solutions uh, that are moving us in the direction of a cleaner energy base. And as we go through these solutions, keep in mind that we we view these uh, solutions as investment opportunities since we will see increased demand for them as the energy transition uh, continues to unfold. So first on the power generation side, We are positive on renewable energy sources like solar and wind, 
But we note that these sources of energy are variable, meaning that the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow. So battery storage will be critical to supporting the transition to renewable energy sources. Uh, renewable, uh, excuse me, battery storage can improve the flexibility of renewables uh, as the electricity generated can be stored and released during uh, periods with suboptimal sun or wind. We also anticipate ongoing digitization of the electric grid to increase its flexibility to accommodate alternative sources of power. Shifting over to the transportation side, we're optimistic on the transition to electric vehicles, and we think we're only a few years away from EVs becoming the mainstream vehicle of choice as costs come down. We also see the potential for hydrogen fuel cell powered vehicles, but more for commercial vehicles than on the passenger side. Uh, hydrogen fuel cells have an advantage to electric batteries in terms of charging time and the amount of storage, allowing for longer distance travel on a single charge. So this makes the technology uh, very attractive for larger vehicles and, and longer haul uh, you know, trucking and busing and, and maybe eventually uh, for uh, modes of transportation like railroads and airliners in the future. And then moving over to the industrial segment, uh, the heightened focus around these ESG risks has really motivated industrial companies to consider sustainable alternatives to help mitigate emissions. So some examples include um, exploring the use of carbon capture. Uh, we're also seeing um, hydrogen being the clean fuel of choice in areas um, of met metals and chemicals. Uh, that, that can help to substantially reduce emissions. We're also seeing steelmakers increasingly using natural gas, high-grade iron ore, and hydrogen as alternative fuels. And we're seeing an increase in burning waste, such as recycled plastics, as an energy source, which, of course, is a more desirable outcome for these types of waste uh, versus clogging up our landfills and oceans. So to sum up, the energy sector presents us with a huge opportunity to change and to reduce global emissions. And with that, we see a number of compelling investment opportunities, especially given the more recent increased policy support um, that we're seeing coming from a number of the world's biggest economies. Thanks, Laura, for walking us through the transition to renewable energy. It is really exciting to see this transformation that is happening right now. So switching to the next topic of the report, the scarce resource of our land, and this is also closely connected to our food system. Amantia, what are the main issues with land scarcity and how can investors engage on this topic? Thanks, Julia. So land use is interesting because um, it is, of course, related to our food system, but it's also related to our climate system. Um, land use is the second largest source of emissions globally, according to the OECD, and it only comes behind the energy sector in terms of its footprint. These emissions are generated from land clearing activity and intensive farming practices often, and the environmental costs that we find are even higher uh, when one considers the habitat destruction that comes and is involved in, you know, in, in, in our land clearing and agricultural practices. 
Um, and it becomes particularly important if we think about how vital ecosystems and, and the services that they provide are in our lives. You know, they provide the water we drink, the food we eat, and the air we breathe. So it's critical really to think about this, uh, this system as we're thinking about climate change and the future of our planet more broadly. Now, this becomes even more pressing if we think about the fact that um, global agricultural production uh, is, is needed to increase by between 25% to 70% by 2050 in order to feed the swelling global population. And, um, and, and agriculture today is already using almost 50% of the available uh, ice-free land surface that we have. So really, it, it's why uh, we're connecting so closely these topics of agriculture, land, and climate change in this report. Now, if we think about solutions, really the, the main issues that we need to think about are to reduce emissions are to, to work towards halting deforestation as well as protecting biodiversity given their importance in the system. However, as I mentioned, as demand for food rises, these two goals become difficult to achieve. Um, to reduce this environmental harm and these systemic risks, we think that we need to start rethinking how we produce and how we consume the food that we eat and also the clothes that we wear, you know, and which are related to these supply chains. And finally, also rethink how we live. We really need to enhance our, the sustainability of our supply chains and trade. So thinking about all of this in conjunction, really, we see at least three main um, areas where there are potential solutions as well as investable opportunities. So at the highest level, um, the areas are the, the land use monitoring and supply chain validation technologies and solutions. A second one is smart agriculture. And a third one is the sustainable production and consumption more broadly. So all these segments overall taken jointly, we estimate that would be worth at least 700 billion U.S. dollars by 2030. Um, and this is a number that is up from, from 135 billion in 2018. Now, just to go a little bit more in depth into what these three areas are, um, for example, when we think of land use monitoring and supply chain validation, um, really we think about the fact that, that consumers today are not really aware of how the food that they eat gets to their table. Um, and we see that uh, as, as consumers are shifting their attention and they're realizing that these issues are important, they're changing their consumption patterns, but also they're, they're looking to understand this type of information more deeply. So we see, therefore, a range of technology-driven data platforms uh, that are being developed across the supply chain to improve the traceability of the supply chains of food, which could then result in the reduction of, of waste and also in raising the efficiency of, of food marketplaces. So types of technologies here would include distributed ledger platforms like the blockchain that would offer this um, way of improving the traceability of food and, and identifying food provenance, for example. And other types of technologies that would fall in this category would be um, tools that, that help to move away from just physical inspection and, and physical audits of these supply chains into technology-based surveillance um, that can make it all more efficient and can make tech-enabled certification um, become possible. And then ultimately, it could then become needed to meet the growing demand that we have for these certified commodities. Thinking about smart agriculture, which is really, in a way, the first step uh, beyond before 
move into actually monitoring uh, how, how food gets on our plate, so to speak. Uh, we see multiple solutions in the area of digital solutions that, that help tra- to transition um, traditional farming and make it become more efficient and less resource intensive. So examples here would be precision agriculture, as Laura raised just um, at the beginning uh, of, of our conversation. Um, and the benefit of precision agriculture would be to raise the outputs of agriculture while also minimizing the environmental impact um, and, and potentially also thinking about irrigation technologies, which would enhance farmers' decision-making and reduce water consumption needs. And then finally, as we think about the third area, um, sustainable production and consumption uh, as an area of opportunity is really underpinned by an understanding that consumers are truly changing their preferences. Um, they are looking to, to take into account how climate change um, is, is evolving, really, and, and they're reflecting this in the choices that they're making about their consumption. And we think that this will, will play a role in reducing the carbon intensity of our food system. So we see opportunities here that are related to plant-based protein, to digital like food hailing systems of the future, like autonomous droids or drones, um, and and multiple other technologies that that can help address some of these uh, issues and help us um, really feed the glo- the growing global population, but without or or with lower environmental costs for all of us. Thanks, Amantia, for walking us through the scope and magnitude of the investable opportunities in land and our food system. Now turning to our last topic, water, or how does this come up in the paper? Yeah, so water is something that we often take for granted. Uh, In the developed world, we rarely need to worry about access to clean drinking water or the availability of water for uh, cleaning or taking a shower or cooking. But water is critical to nearly every aspect of our lives. And, you know, it's hard to believe uh, when we look around the world that that many people don't have access to clean water. Uh, The U.N. estimates that 2.2 billion people lack safely managed drinking water, and nearly 700 million people could be displaced by 2030 due to water scarcity issues. Now, the fact that water is in short supply can seem counterintuitive because water is abundant on a global scale. 71% of the earth is covered by water. Um, But in fact, only 2.5% of the world's water is fresh water. And of this, 69% is locked in glaciers or frozen ice caps. And even the remaining amount is not easily accessible as it is bounded in ground ice and permafrost. So the amount of water actually suitable for human consumption is very limited, and the water that is available is unevenly distributed, meaning that it doesn't always reach all the people around the world uh, who need it most. Now, despite this inflexible supply, at the same time, demand is growing. Uh, Since the beginning of the 20th century, global water withdrawal has increased 7.3 times whereas the world population grew 4.4 times. So it's outpacing uh, population growth. And we expect that this supply-demand mismatch is going to continue, uh, especially when we consider things like the growing population, improving living, living standards, uh, the ongoing urbanization and industrialization of emerging markets, um, and even things like climate change. So all of these are adding pressure on our global water system. But... 
you know, similar to other areas that we spoke about today, there are technologies on the horizon that are helping to alleviate these challenges. Um, some examples include um, things like smart water meters, which measure relevant factors like flow, temperature, and pressure that can help water utilities run their facilities more efficiently. There's also technologies in the realm of water leakage detection, which is a major uh, problem for many parts of the world. Um, the average lifespan of water pipes is 50 to 100 years, um, but depending on you know how they're made and, and how much pressure they can handle, uh, we're starting to see that a lot of this infrastructure is, is reaching that point where um, you know it's no longer effective, and we're seeing issues with water leakage. Uh, according to the OECD, water utilities in member countries have a water leakage uh, in the range of 10 to 30 percent. But in emerging countries, water leakage um, can reach levels of up to 40%. That's not uncommon. And there's even some areas that have leakage as high as 70%. Uh, so there's a lot we can do in the realm of improving water infrastructure and using um, digital technologies, as I mentioned, to help better detect leakage and fix issues. Um, in a more timely manner. So as far as investment opportunities, we believe that water utilities and industrials with exposure to water-related equipment sales uh, tend to uh, or stand to benefit from these trends. Uh, so we do see some investment opportunities within these areas. And we note that the global water market should grow at a kind of mid to single um, digit rate over the next few years. So this is an area that we see as ripe for investment, uh, especially, like I said, when you consider the kind of desperate upgrades we need for, for water infrastructure. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Laura and Amantia, for this fantastic conversation about our planet and taking a deep dive into the new CIO Future of Earth report. It is truly so powerful to hear about the change that is happening across people, health, communities, energy, land, and water. So again, thank you so much for this great conversation. Well, thank you, Julia, Laura, and Amantia for spending some time with our listeners and their clients and walking us through the Future of Earth publication from the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. That, of course, course includes the publication which Julia, Laura, and Amantia have been making reference to today, The Future of Earth. For UBS clients, you can contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly or if you would like to learn more about the topics covered on today's podcast. Be on the lookout for follow-up conversations on The Future of Earth publication in the coming weeks and months. The UBS Conversations podcast channel is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.